You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's got to be the most loaded sentence ever. And yet here it is, six words right in the Apostles' Creed that have meant a plethora of things to so many people for so many years. And yet, here it is, what we affirm. I believe in the Holy Spirit. It's no surprise, though, that the enemy, who is the devil, if you don't know who our enemy is, because sometimes we could get that mixed up and believe that the enemy is people, but the enemy, the devil, it's no surprise to me that he would so viciously and deceitfully attack the doctrine of the Holy Spirit because without the Holy Spirit, we are powerless as Christians and doomed to fail as the church. Like anything in this life that's good and right, the enemy has an attack, has deception, has a plan to cause the church to be at odds or to be at one another or at odds with the world around us in such a way that we back down. It's an obvious strategy of our enemy. And yet he does it again and again to attack the understanding of the church, of the third person of the Trinity while seeking to confuse Christians about our necessary relationship with the Holy Spirit and what it should look like, what it should look like as the church, what we should look like as those who believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, much like the varied and mixed up views that we talked about last week with the second coming of Christ, right? That we've got all kinds of thoughts about that that are not theologically sound, that aren't true according to God's word. And it's the same way when I ask you, like, what do you think when you hear the words judgment day? And we've got all these crazy thoughts, like all the way from a Terminator movie to what we think it's going to look like when Christ returns. And it's the same way with, do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And if I were to ask you that question, what comes to your mind? Well, yeah, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, then what does that mean for you? Well, now we're going off into all kinds of different things. I could give you a few basic considerations. For some, the Holy Spirit is a background belief, something of an add-on to our lives when we got saved, much like some useless software running in the background of your computer when you buy the computer, right? Everybody bought a computer and, it, oh, it comes loaded with this, this, and like, I'll never use that. But there it is, running in the background all the time, something that you never use. And for a lot of us, that's what the Holy Spirit is. It's something running in the background of our lives with no real relationship, no interaction consistently with the Holy Spirit. And it becomes an anemic belief at best. For others to say I believe in the Holy Spirit means I have a constant scapegoat to do whatever I want regardless of whether it lines up with the Bible or not. Oh, I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's telling me this. I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this. We'll get more into this this morning, but often people use the Holy Spirit as a silver bullet phrase that kills any attempt to contradict them with the Word of God. And I assure you the Holy Spirit has been blamed for countless things that he never actually told anybody. 
Still others think to believe in the Holy Spirit means only that you believe in the gifts of the Spirit, particularly speaking in tongues, or any of the so-called power gifts, not my words, but someone else's, and I'll get into that as well. But I agree with what Pastor Matt Chandler says a little bit about this, that to minimize the Holy Spirit to merely the giver of spiritual gifts is myopic at best and blasphemous at worst. So much like the second coming of Jesus, because of confusion, bad teaching, bad theology, endless debate, and general weariness on the subject itself, we just avoid talking about the Holy Spirit much at all. It's just too much. But we do this to our own detriment as the church. Another pastor and author put it this way, Our silence on the Holy Spirit indicts our faith, dampens our worship, robs our churches, empties the gospel of its beauty, and fails to to glory in the resplendent mystery of the Trinity. And I would add, fails to allow us to walk in the power that Christ said that we should walk in as the church. We can start today looking at the Bible. What does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? When we say we believe in the Holy Spirit, what does the Bible teach that that means? And we have to search the scriptures. That's what we need to do. We just say, well, this is what I think, or this is what I've always been taught. What does the Bible say? And as we search the scriptures, guess what? We're going to get help from the Holy Spirit, actually, to uncover the beauty and the power of what we affirm in the creed when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We can start with what we believe about the Trinity. Christians believe God is a Trinity. That's what we believe. Christ, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. God has eternally existed as one essence and in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Each is fully God, yet there is one God. We affirm this belief when we affirm, I believe in the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, really just kind of circling around those three chapters today. And we're going to find Jesus taking a deep dive in describing the Holy Spirit. Jesus' own words to his disciples then and now. And he describes the Holy Spirit these ways. This is what we'll unpack and uncover a little bit. One who abides, one who teaches, one who testifies, and the one who bears truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. But first, since in order to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you must first have come to salvation through the Son, Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, we have to start with being born again. Like, you don't have and don't really believe in the Holy Spirit until you have been born again. I guess you could break this down in the ministry of the initiating ministry or the initial ministry of the Holy Spirit and the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the initial ministry of the Holy Spirit is drawing you to the Father through the Son so that we can be born again. And this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus described salvation to Nicodemus in John 3.3. You don't have to turn there. Like I already said, 14, 15, and 16. But in John 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This leads to the most terrifyingly repulsive question ever asked of Jesus. So does this mean I got to crawl back up in my mother's womb? 
Ooh, no. I mean, have you ever thought, like, that's just like, what? What did you just ask? To be saved and to be adopted into God's family forever, Jesus is saying you must be born again. The Greek word for again is anothen, which is translated from above. Meaning spiritual life means spiritual birth. It means that it's by the Spirit. Now watch this. Your justification, your sanctification, your adoption, and your glorification come to you through your union with Jesus Christ, which is given only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all of salvation from the beginning to the end is a gift from God the Father, accomplished by God the Son, and given through God the Holy Spirit. Spirit. We must thank God that he drew us to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't come to Christ without the initiating power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't live for Christ without the ongoing power of the Holy Spirit. This is why this is so important. You don't come to Jesus. You're not born again without the initiating power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe in him. If you've been saved, you have to believe because that's the only reason you're saved. And then the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It really is that simple, that cut and dry. So let's continue now to look at the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Looking at Jesus' own words in John now 16, he's just highlighting the importance of the Holy Spirit. And here's what Jesus said in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here's Jesus telling us that it is to our advantage that he leaves. The ascension that we've already talked about so that the Holy Spirit could come. Here's the question, do you believe those words of Jesus? If so, then you will cultivate a relationship that is as vibrant and important as our relationship with the rest of the Godhead, God the Father and God the Son. And in this passage, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper, as him, as he, over and over again. First thing that you need to notice and believe is that the Holy Spirit is a he, a helper, a guide, a teacher. The Holy Spirit is never an it. That's too impersonal for the depth and intimacy of relationship that we're to have with the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. It's also not how you would refer to anybody that you had a true relationship with. You're not going to talk about God that way. You're not going to talk about Jesus that way. You're not going to talk about your mama that way. Well, it over here. No. That's impersonal. It's not a relationship. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. So we don't refer to him as it. He is the helper, our guide, a teacher. Let's talk about the relationship we are to have through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, starting with John 14. So back a couple of chapters now. John 14, verse 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Don't you like that? Not just for a little while, but forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
When I read those words, when you and I as the church read those words, if you're a believer and you read those words, they really are meant to be the most comforting words in all of the Bible, in my opinion, as it pertains to exiles, which would be you and I living in a hostile world, which is what we live in, given a mission that is impossible at best without the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is comforting. Jesus is saying he's not just going to be around you. He's not just going to be out there so when you call on him, he'll come help. No, he's saying the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you. Jesus promised this mind-boggling unity, an inexplicable bond that is supposed to exist between Christians and the Holy Spirit. This is why we must believe in him and cultivate a relationship. The dwelling within is described with this intimate language of abiding. So if you want to know the role of the Holy Spirit, the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives today, church, it's that the Holy Spirit abides in you. He abides in you. If you belong to Jesus through faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit makes your heart his abode, home. Therefore, he abides in you. There's such security. I mean, think about this. There's such security in this truth, in this doctrine of the Holy Spirit, this ministry of the Holy Spirit abiding in us. When the Holy Spirit abides in you, here's why. There's nothing for you to fear. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, no matter what the enemy brings your way, the devil cannot, he he can do all that he can, but he cannot overcome you. He can hinder, he can hurt, he can hate, he can steal, he can do all of the things that he does and will do, but he cannot overcome us because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Yeah, that is good news, that's okay. The only way the church survives and the only way the church continues our mission to reach the world with the gospel is because of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. The only way the church loves one another across racial divisions is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The only way the church stands up for justice, righteousness, and holiness underneath the pressures of persecution from the outside and even the inside and slander and all the things that go on about the church is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes strangers and enemies become friends and family. The Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are transformed as he transcends our human frailties. See, the Holy Spirit is transforming and transcending all at the same time. He's transforming you as he transcends you. He's transforming us, church, as he transcends us. Because we cannot do it in our own strength. Therefore, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you looked around? Have you looked around at the world around us? And have you looked around even at the church and said, wow, I think we could do this? And every time I look, whether it's the news or the church or whatever the case is, I'm like, without the Holy Spirit to build a church that is multi-generational, that is multi-ethnic, that loves one another, that serves you and one another is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. Can't be done. The spirit abiding is how you and I can hear the preaching of the word or the words of the Bible, not just the words of a man, but as God's revealed truth. And since Jesus promised this abiding presence, he said, was going to be with us for what? Forever. You don't have to worry about God not being there for you. 
Like we worry about, well, I don't know if they're going to be there for me. Well, I don't know if she's going to be there or he's going to be there. Well, that is a legitimate worry, I would assume, because we're human. But you never have to be anxious or worried about whether or not God is going to be there for you. The Holy, Holy Spirit doesn't just show up when you're going through a difficult season. Oh, there you are. Thank goodness. Neither does he ghost you, no pun intended, when you sin or continually struggle with an addiction or some other form of besetting sin in your life. His abiding presence is not conditional. It doesn't hinge upon your obedience. It doesn't hinge upon your performance or your effort. His presence abides in us continually because of God's amazing grace and his infinite love. God knows that without the Holy Spirit, we are done for as the church and the people of God. So he promises the Holy Spirit will dwell in us forever. Question is, is what does your abode look like? How are you preparing your abode for God? Does it mean it look like your college dorm room? I mean, maybe your college dorm room looked great. Mine was a crap hole. I mean, it was old, decrepit, three guys in there living on their own for the first time. It was kind of nasty, except for my part. It was really, looked really nice. But what's your abode like? What's the home like? What are you preparing for the Holy Spirit to dwell in? This goes on further with ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit. The ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, not only is he abiding in us, but the Holy Spirit teaches us. This is how we prepare the house. This is how we prepare the heart, is to be teachable by the Holy Spirit. Let's look at John 14, verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You ever read the word of God and understand something that you'd never understood before? Thank the Holy Spirit. You ever been talking to someone, talking to yourself, and a scripture comes to mind that is just perfect for the situation, for encouragement for you or for that person, or maybe correction or some sort of, of ability to understand something in that conversation? Thank the Holy Spirit. These are the moments where he begins to show us and teach us the word. Thank the Holy Spirit when the word comes to life. Jesus promised the coming of the Holy Spirit as teacher. And this teacher, he's saying, would help us read and understand the Bible. It makes perfect sense. If he's the one that inspired the writing of the Bible, that he would be the one that would then help you to understand what he inspired the people of God to write. He's the best one to help you understand. It makes sense. This is called the doctrine of illumination. That illumination means that God would enlighten and must enlighten the human mind in order for us to understand the things and the ways of God. Without the Holy Spirit, then this is foolishness. And the scripture says so. The Holy Spirit is the one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves in renewing our minds and revealing spiritual truth to us. You think it's important for us to discern what's true in this day and age? Do you think it's important that the Holy Spirit would reveal spiritual truth to us today to discern the difference between spiritual truth and lies? We need the Holy Spirit in our private time so that we're not reading the word of God and discover something that no theologian in all of history has ever seen before. 
man, I've never seen this before, and neither has anybody else. So it's probably not God. It's probably just you. And we need the Holy Spirit in the corporate time as the church in his word, just like right now in the church to protect against heresy, to preserve doctrinal purity, and to speak truth into our lives because where the spirit of truth is, which is the spirit of the Holy Spirit, there is freedom. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 10, you don't have to turn there. But these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God in his word, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the what? The Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Yes, we can be good students of the word, and we should be. But I want you to understand that it's not because you're a good student that you understand this it's because we have the best teacher yes it takes time any good teacher knows that you're still gonna have to put in the time you're still gonna have to read the book you're still gonna have to do the homework but the only way that you're gonna understand what you're reading the only way that it's gonna apply to your life in such a way that makes no sense to anybody but what God is maybe doing in your life at that moment or in the church at that moment is because we have the greatest teacher because we have the Holy Spirit teaching us we must humbly approach God's Word whether it's in the morning or in the afternoon or at night or all of the above and we pray to the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit would you guide me would you teach me would you illuminate the scripture to me because without your help it's just black and white and red words on a page it doesn't change me so as we are being taught through the word we also begin to see the truth and that's the other thing the holy spirit does the holy spirit testifies of christ The Holy Spirit testifies of Christ. He abides in us. He teaches us and he testifies of Christ. When the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, and this is important because you hear that all the time, man, the Holy Spirit showed up. What does that mean? Well, here's what it should mean. When he shows up in our churches, when he shows up in our prayer meetings, when he shows up in our worship, when he shows up in our time with him alone, let's read what Jesus' words say that should look like. John 15, 26 and 27. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Or John 16, 14. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a common theme in these two verses, these two passages, that the Holy Spirit functions as a spotlight that is always focused on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always deferring and shining light towards Jesus, the Son. It is Jesus, not the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit wants us to see. Wherever the Holy Spirit shows up, you don't so much find a testimony about the Holy Spirit as you find a testimony about Jesus Christ. We could say it this way. 
where you find unapologetic, vibrant, biblical, joyful, life-changing testimony of Jesus Christ, you can be sure that the Holy Spirit is at work. The testimony of the Holy Spirit should exalt Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will also empower us to be a witness for whom? Jesus Christ that helps us testify of what the Holy Spirit testified to us, that Jesus is the one and only way. Which leads me to what the Holy Spirit also does. The Holy Spirit bears truth. John 16 Verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, here that verse is again, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This passage tells us that the Holy Spirit not only comes to bear truth, but that he is the spirit of truth. Matter of fact, the Holy Spirit comes as truth. Not just to bear witness to it. Now the Holy Spirit would dwell in God's people, and that's great, to proclaim the truth of God inwardly to his people. And this is so vital in the live your own truth era that we are in. That the Holy Spirit is inside of you telling you what is in fact is the truth. And it's not necessarily your truth. Whatever you like, man, whatever's good, whatever you want to do, just live your truth. And on top of that mess... We have a social media malaise of whatever I read must be true. Whatever quote I put out there must be true. Whatever they said, it's got to be true. Except the what stuff that we don't want to believe, and that's got to be fake. And yet the reality and the ability to know the difference between what is true and what is fake, what is real and what is not, doesn't lie in our intellect, but it lies in the power of the Holy Spirit bearing witness to the truth inside of us. Because here's what will never happen. The Holy Spirit will never deliver contradictory testimony to God's people. Hello? He is never going to deliver a contradictory testimony about Jesus or anything else according to his word to the people of God. This is why I said earlier we can't use the Holy Spirit as a smokescreen to live whatever version of the truth we want to live. I can't tell you how many times that I've heard somebody tell me the Holy Spirit told them something to where I wanted to say, well, you're full of something, but it's not the Holy Spirit. If we believe in the current ministry of the Holy Spirit, abiding, teaching, testifying, and we'll call this last one, truthing, then subsequently there should be life in the Spirit. Have you ever heard that before? We want to live life in the Spirit. Life in the Spirit of God. Well, what does the ministry of the Holy Spirit look like as we're living a life in the Spirit personally as Christians and as a community of faith called the church? What does life in the Spirit look like for the body? What does life in the Spirit look like for you on a daily basis? The Bible says the reality of the Holy Spirit is this. His ministry, life in the Spirit, looks like this. It's going to be very personal in the life of believers. For example, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And what does a life being walking by the Spirit look like? He'll say, Paul says, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If I walk by the Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. That is living life in the Spirit. 
Paul tells us you have to walk in the Spirit. Romans 8, 14, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. We're being led by the Spirit of God. What does that do? It assures us that we belong to Jesus. There's a security in our salvation. There's a security of the believer, a sealing of the Holy Spirit that affirms to us as we are led by him that you are his son, that you are his daughter, that he loves you and nothing can take you out of his hand. That's what the Holy Spirit does assures you of your salvation. And this relationship with the Holy Spirit we're talking about today has a real outworking in our lives. It's not just, well, I got the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the real outworking of the fact that you have the Holy Spirit that is abiding in you? Our relationship with the Holy Spirit helps us to live lives that exalt Christ, kill sin, and perseveres to the end. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do for you. It's going to exalt Christ in your life. Shine a spotlight on Jesus. Not on me, not on you, but on Jesus again and again. It's going to kill the sin in your life, the desires of the flesh, and it's going to empower you to persevere to the end. Let's talk about killing sin, which I like that, the mortification of sin, if you will. I've always said it this way, and, and maybe you'd like to write it this way, but the Holy Spirit gives us victory over sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Gives us victory over sin. Romans 8, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live what? By the spirit, you put to death, you kill, you mortify, if you will, the deeds of the body. You will live. See, so many people think that if I just do whatever I want, then that's really freedom and that's really living. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's actually dying. This is living. Paul already assured us in Romans 8.1 that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's good news because the great exchange has taken place where Jesus gave me his righteousness and all I gave him was all of my sin. That's the great exchange. You give your sin to Jesus and he gives you his righteousness. But this doesn't give us the freedom then to go on sinning and doing whatever we want or living in unrepentant sin. Therefore, Christians who live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit kill sin and pursue holiness. And if you're like me, you say, well, that's hard. That's hard. Well, then that's why we don't forget the three words in verse 13, which tells us how we're going to do this. It doesn't say you're going to do it in your own strength. It says, how are you going to kill sin? By the Spirit. How are you going to kill the desires of the flesh? By the Spirit. You cannot put sin to death by willpower. Not for long. You cannot walk in the ways of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. We will fail. We will cave to temptation every time. So we have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, fill us, guide us, empower us to have victory over sin and to help us endure to the end, to persevere and to finish the race strong. Listen, until you realize that all hope of sanctification and persevering to the end is impossible without the Holy Spirit, you're gonna keep losing. But if you will cry out to God and ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to have victory over every area of sin in your life, then he'll give you the power and the victory over that. doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but I guarantee you, you'll begin to walk in victory more than you are now. Acting like you don't need help is pointless. We do. I do. We need help. And guess what? The Holy Spirit's the helper. Lastly, I want to end with what the Holy Spirit produces, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes us to bear the fruit 
of the Spirit. Maybe you know and memorize Galatians 5. If you were here a few years ago, we did a whole series on it. We had the little kitty song, and we were all singing it in our heads for months on end. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that in your life? Not only does the Holy Spirit help us kill sin, but he also causes us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Anyone not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the Bible's very clear, does not belong to Jesus. And yes, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit too. And God uses those gifts to testify of his power, to point to the reality that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, to shine the spotlight on Jesus, not on the gift so that we could be empowered and encouraged and built up in the body of Christ, even through those gifts, to be what? Witnesses in the earth, not just receivers of gifts. But listen to me. I've seen too many people talking about or manifesting spiritual gifts, talking about spiritual gifts, operating in spiritual gifts, and their fruit is rotten. Like, you can't talk in tongues and then just be mean. You can't say the Holy Spirit is speaking to you when you're speaking lies and slander and gossip about the bride of Christ, the church, with no self-control about people made in the image of God. You can't be discerning spirits when you can't discern what the Bible says in plain black and white. You can't be praying prayers of healing for people who need to be healed who are sick when your heart is sick with bitterness and there is no goodness evident in your life. Scripture is saying that the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life, of the fact that that seed was planted in our life, is the fruit of your life. If we truly have the Holy Spirit, the proof is in the fruit. Isn't that what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13? If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith and can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If there's no evidence of love in our life, church, then I have nothing. Certainly not the Holy Spirit. But as we walk in the Spirit with the virtues of godliness growing and bursting forth out of our lives, as we walk in the Spirit, watch this, there is a greater depth to our love, a greater fullness of our joy, a greater transcendence of our peace, a greater expanse of our patience, a greater enthusiasm of our kindness, a greater extensiveness of our goodness, the greaterness of, our, of faithfulness and the humility of our gentleness and the sacrifice of our self-control, all all begin to flourish and give evidence of the Spirit's work in my life. My life bears fruit that is attractive to others and pleasing to God. And this will not happen in a vacuum. It happens through time in God's Word, where, where it's illuminated by the Scripture, by the Holy Spirit. It happens in fellowship with God's people, where the Holy Spirit binds us together in the spirit of love, when all we want to do in our flesh is run or be at an, an, an animosity with one another. And we cannot go unnoticed when we're living life by the Spirit. The world will see, and they'll want to know why and how. 
Be like Peter in John Acts 4, 13, when it says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men that had been taught by the best teacher, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. If you remember what happened in Acts 2, you know that Peter and John had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But whenever we're filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in the Spirit, the people recognize what? That you've been with Jesus. Do they look at you and go, oh man, you're so cool. Oh man, you're so powerful. Oh man, you're so anointed. No, they recognize, oh man, you've been with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus that way. I want to know Jesus that way. They'll want to do the same. The world will recognize those who walk intimately with the Holy Spirit because they will see the fruit of your lives and the fruit of our life as a church and they will want what you have. They'll want to look like Jesus. This confession, I believe in the Holy Spirit that we're talking about today, affirms the truth of the one who abides in us, who teaches us, who testifies to the Christ that lives inside of us, witnesses of the fullness of God's truth in us. It also testifies that we believe the Holy Spirit has the power to give us victory over every sin in our life and to bear the fruit of the Spirit that is the total antithesis of everything that we see in the world in our flesh and to give us power to be witnesses in the earth today of Jesus redeeming power to save. That's what we mean when we say I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's what the church means when it says I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I think, do we have these words up so we can read them together? Let's stand to our feet, church, and we're going to worship together as the worship team moves into place. Let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Next week, so I don't have to say it every time, you'll start to learn about what the little c, Holy Catholic Church, universal, means. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from, and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.